we really want to connect with the people that use our product and really understand them as people so that we can put out a better product. Welcome to BizBuild Podcast, presented to you by the good folks here at Diamondback Tool Company. I'm the host of the show, Damani, head of sales and media for Diamondback Tool Belts. Follow me at Diamondback underscore Damani, that's D-A-M-A-N-I on Instagram. I'm here, as I will be on every episode, with Connor Crook, CEO of Diamondback Tool Belts. Follow him on Instagram at Diamondback.ToolBelts. The purpose of BizBuild is to provide listeners an inside track on what it takes to build a business. It is our hope that you can learn from our successes and pitfalls and siphon knowledge from our various expertise so that you can get an edge in the business of building something great. All right. Welcome to the BizBuild Podcast. Oh, Lord. It's Bizarro Week. <laughs> For regular followers, we're going to turn things around. We're going to flip this thing on its head. And I, Connor Crook, CEO of Diamondback Tool Belts, will be interviewing Damani Harrison, CSO of Diamondback Tool Belts. What is CSO? Chief Style Officer. Oh, wow. That is so sweet. I'm going to put that on a T-shirt. <laughs> so the BizBuild podcast, if you're not familiar, we talk about the business of building your business in the business of building. Mm-hmm. But today we're going to pull back the curtain a little bit and we're going to give you a little behind the scenes view of some important personnel here at Diamondback Tool Belts, Mr. Diamondback Damani. Hey, what's going on out there? Diamondback Damani. That sounds a lot like Diamond Dave. <laughs> I don't even know who that is. Diamond Dave is the one true voice for Van Halen, brother. Oh, shoot. Wow. I did not get that reference, and so many of our fans are probably going to murder me when they see me. That's all right, because Diamondback Damani is going to tell us about being the one true voice of the Beatniks. Oh, wow. (laughs) You're taking it back there. Before I do that, can I give a shout-out real quick? You go ahead. All right. I'm going to give a shout out real quick to Aaron M. Cash, who gave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. He says, simply this podcast shares some of the most knowledgeable information concerning running a business that I have found. Aaron, you are truly, truly an intelligent individual. Now, beatniks. Many of you may not know that I, at one point in my life, um, in a former life, was heavily involved in the music industry. I have since retired, even though many of the people close to me wish that I hadn't. Um, But uh, for the better part of a decade, was in a relatively successful regional hip-hop group called Beatniks, spelled B-E-E-T-N-I-X. You're not going to find all of our music online because about four and a half years ago, I got really, really depressed and took it all off. <laughs> but I'm in a much better space right now. <laughs> so I might have to throw it back up there after this episode comes out. But yes, um, I fashioned myself a, a rather competent producer, MC, performer, uh, songwriter, uh, music director, and dabbled into uh, music video direction and a couple of other things. Which has now led you to be promoting 
product videos for Diamondback Toolbox. <laughs> yeah, so Connor dubbed me the voice, um, and so I guess that's pretty ap- uh, appropriate considering I was the voice of a hip-hop group for a while. And I think, um, I say this a lot to a lot of people, everything I do comes back to hip-hop. Um, I learned so much about life and business and entrepreneurship in my pursuit of a career in hip-hop music. So everything I do here uh, at Diamondback is really just an extension of what I learned through hip-hop. Tell me what you learned in (laughs) hip-hop, specifically that is about tool belts. That's kind of a loaded question because <laughs> I'm not sure if it's specific to tool belts. So let me try my best. Um, my my personal philosophy is that um, if you have a great understanding of one thing, it can be translated to all things. Um, and when I say understanding, that's just not like knowledge. That's sort of wisdom, you know, about things. And so uh, in hip-hop, especially in the era that I came up, because um, I'm 42 now, so I was coming up in the 90s and the early 2000s. And see, most people think you're a lot younger than I am. I know. I know. But it ain't so. It's not so. It's just that, you know, they say black don't crack. But uh, <laughs> uh, So when I was coming up, you know, this was before the, you know, the age of the internet uh, where you could pretty much just, you know, put something up on Instagram or SoundCloud and go viral or whatever. Um, we had to do a lot of beating the street, street team stuff, uh, self-promotion. It was really, really important that we connected with our fans and followers on a personal level uh, in order to get them to buy into us as artists and then also give our music a chance. And what I found in that, how to translate that to Diamondback is that, and I think that we use this as well, is that we really want to connect with the people that use our product and really understand them as people um, so that we can put out a better product. Just like when I was doing hip hop music, I really wanted to understand my fan base and understand what it is that they truly felt, what it is that they were, uh, what they truly desired. And I wanted to make music that represented those feelings and those desires and connect to them in that particular way. Uh, so it's a lot of it's really the same thing. And Diamondback, while we are growing, we're not Stanley Bosch, Bostich, Black and Decker around no. here. We're no. not Bosch. We're not Milwaukee Tools. No. Sometimes we have to do things in our own particular idiom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We try to be really original. And um, I was talking to a buddy of mine who is actually a professor at Cornell University, Dr. Munir Nazir, and uh, I was explaining to him that in order to be successful in this industry that I'm in right now, um, with tool belts in the construction and the trades industry, what I noticed really quickly is that we had to do something that made us stand out. Um, because we talked about red seas and blue seas, and when there's a lot of people in a market and you're sort of like in this bloodbath to get the same customers and consumers or whatever, it was really important that we did something that was different and that other people weren't doing. And by default, just by who I am, I'm a different looking face in the industry. And then I really wanted to bring a different voice to the industry. Um, Connor was already kind of doing this with his very, I guess I call it, quote unquote, plain speak, just being really uh, available as a human as opposed to like a talking billboard via social media. And I wanted to take that up a notch. And I wanted people to really understand that we are people 
and that um, we can relate to you on a common level. And then hopefully, you know, there's some sort of synergy that and you will have some trust in us. Like, look, these guys are doing what we're doing. We're grinding in the same particular way. I want to get down with that versus I want to be sold a particular product. Speaking of getting a product out, mm-hmm. I think you told me a story once about how you got uh, some of your early music out into the street. Yes, yes. Oh, yeah, okay. So Connor made the um, crazy decision to allow me to sort of take the lead on marketing with Diamondback. Um, And kudos to him for really just taking the chance on me and sort of putting the trust in me to do what it is that I feel like I know how to do because – I come from left field a lot, you know, <laughs> and uh, it's a, and I do a lot of non-traditional things. But early on with uh, Beatniks, uh, in order to get our music out, one of the first things I did was like, I just want people to know who the heck we are. I want them to have recognition of the name of our logos, of our images. And so when we did our first EP, uh, short, um, short running album, it's about five songs. Um, I just went ahead and put my own money up, and I printed up, like, I think the first print was 1,000 copies of discs, and then I did another print of 1,000 copies. And what I did was I went to a couple of my really, really close friends, and I had friends that were doing some traveling because they followed bands around, and I just handed them stacks of these CDs. And I'm like, look, I don't even want you to sell these things. I just want you to go wherever you're going in a gas station put it on the table, coffee shops, put it on the table, hand them to people that you meet um, at rest stops, um, go to family dinners, give them to your cousins, your little cousins, your older cousins, your uncles and aunts. I just want these things flooded all over the place. And what I did was I played the numbers game. I figured that if I get 2,000 CDs out there, the likelihood that 2,000 people are interested in hip hop and then also interested in my kind of hip hop was rather slim. But if I could get to a percentage of those people, then it was better than me doing nothing, expecting people to come to me. And what ended up happening was over the course of the next couple of years, and we did this multiple times, we would, when we started touring, we would go to places like North Carolina and New Jersey and Vermont or New York, New York, and we'd just be walking around and people, you know, who are you, blah, blah, blah. And we're like, yo, we're beatniks. And people, and, and we'd hear the same phrase all, all the time. Yo, we've heard of them. Oh, beatniks, we've heard of them. You've never heard us, but you've heard of us. And it was because we had been seen, we had been heard. And so that familiarity translated into people buying into what we were doing. Okay, now we're doing a show in New Jersey. Boom, at uh, the Stone Pony, which is uh, Bruce Springsteen's club on the Jersey Shore, uh, which is a dope club. And we drive our van up there, and we show up, and there's like 15 teenage kids like waiting outside the back door for us to arrive for load-in. And like, we get out of the van, and I'm like, what's going on? on somebody's about to mug you right you know what i mean like what's happening here like nobody knows us in jersey we're up here on a whim and we get out of the van and they're like yo y'all are beatniks like yeah we've heard of y'all you're tuned in to the biz build podcast i'm damani and i'm connor crook wild and in in 
exponentially. It just grew. And so to take it back to Diamondback with marketing, that's sort of the approach that I took on marketing. I kind of went to Connor. I was like, look, Connor, we've got some T-shirts. We've got some hats. We've got some stickers. I need you to allocate me X amount of money to do more of these things. I'm not concerned with selling these things right now. I'm concerned with getting as much of this product flooded on the streets as I possibly can in every possible way. Somebody buys something, send you a t-shirt. Somebody buys something, send you a hat. Somebody buys something, I'm sending you stickers because I want every uh, shop, every construction site across the country that I can get my hands on to have something that says Diamondback somewhere. So people get to the point where they start to see Diamondback so many times they go, what's that? (laughs) And they look it up. And hopefully when they do look it up, they find some really awesome quality product that they could benefit from when they get there. Now, other than being a traveling hip hop star, (laughs) quote unquote star. (laughs) You didn't grow up around here. No, I did not. So what's the word, man? How'd, how'd you end up in Charlottesville? Do you want let's, the, let's go way back. Where did you start? Wow. Do you want the uh, PG or the R-rated version? We want the PG <laughs> version, okay. maybe PG-13. There are kids out there. All right, all right. Um, well, I ended up in Virginia because uh, I went to college at the College of William Mary down in uh, Tidewater in Williamsburg, Virginia. Um, it was a school that my mom made me go to. Um she thought it would be the best place for me, and it ended up being not. Uh, I ended up dropping out after two years and going touring with another band that I was with called Man Mountain Jr. at the time, and we were like the first hip-hop band in Virginia way back in 1996. Um, so, uh, we, you know, we were doing some pretty cool cutting-edge stuff back then. We were like fusing like bluegrass and hip-hop and funk. It was like really, really weird and uh, most people were like, y'all are weird. But prior to that, um, I grew up playing, uh, grew up in Germany. My dad was a, uh, a military, was in the military. Um, I was a military brat. We lived off the base all the time. I grew up playing soccer on a competitive European soccer team. Um, I actually trained to go pro from the time that I was like 13 till I was 16 years old. Um, then some other things happened. Those are other stories which made it made it so that I couldn't actually continue that route in my life. My parents split up and they had a big fight over whether I should be more focused on education or more focused on sports. My mom won, so I went with my mom. Um, And that was sort of the end of my soccer career. Um, And she sent me to William & Mary, where I immediately became depressed and suicidal and started making really bad decisions with my life (laughs) while I toured with the band and did everything you could possibly imagine associated with a rock star lifestyle, um, which ended up getting me in some trouble. And so at one point in time, um, a buddy of mine who's the drummer in the band, Justin Bilchek, who right now is um, the head of Bonnaroo, um, the big music festival that happens in Tennessee, um, and he does a, num- a couple of other major music festivals around the country. At the time, we were just small, you know, like young adults um, playing music around. And he saw me getting in trouble where we were at. We were at, and he was like, "Damani, you're either going to end up dead or in jail unless you come with me and move to Charlottesville, Virginia." And so, uh, 
we packed up a U-Haul and he's like, I'm getting you out of here and we're going to go to Charlottesville and we're going to try to do this music thing up there. And I ended up in Virginia. Um, when I got here, I ran a coffee shop. I managed a coffee shop until I got a job working for Music Today, which was Corn Capshaw, the manager of uh, uh, Dave Matthews Band's big company. And I worked in the content department and became a music journalist. Uh, interviewed crazy famous people during that time. That was a wild time. Um, and then I really saw the interworkings of large business and fulfillment through that. Um, so that was really educational for me. Um, I was still somewhat of a rebel. Um, and so when the dot bomb era happened, uh, I was one of the people that got cut um, because, yeah, <laughs> I didn't fit into the mold all that well. Um, yeah, so... From there, I did a lot of things. Man, I went into teaching. Um, I still continue to write. Actually, won some awards as a writer in uh, the state of Virginia. Uh, won a Virginia Press Association Award for critical writing for the Hook Weekly, which was a, a paper around here. Um, did some cool things like that, and then really focused on like music and production and all that stuff like that. And then I meet Connor. <laughs> um, and I guess the rest is history. So you talked a lot, you've actually mentioned education a couple of times. You, yes. You, you've taught school. Mm -hmm. Your mom pushed you in education. Yeah. Uh, I know you also did some work in music education. Yes, absolutely. Um, There's a program you ran here in town yes. for a long time. Tell us about that. Okay. So um, one of the, I guess, trickle-down effects of the, um, the wealth uh, procured by the Dave Matthews Band was their nonprofit organization called Bama Works. And Bama Works was uh, responsible for funding an organization here in Charlottesville called the Music Resource Center. Um, there's actually a really cool uh, documentary on it on YouTube, uh, Dave Matthews Music Resource Center State Farm Insurance. Um, you can see a little bit about that. But uh, it's a it was a large nonprofit organization for uh, teaching uh, eighth through twelfth graders contemporary music, and they built music studio. We we built full on music studios, production spaces, rehearsal spaces for kids to come in, learn how to play instruments, make beats, produce songs, write songs. And I became the arts and ed education director of that program. While I was there, I wrote a contemporary edu uh, music education course that I ended up selling to the city and count the city of Charlottesville and the county of Albemarle, um, where they began busing students to me to teach this contemporary music education course. Um, that was everything from music history, uh, music production, songwriting, writing, music journalism. Um, and they ended up duplicating that course in a number of high schools around this area after I left. And so that was just a really cool way. I, I guess the long short of it is I really saw a need to connect and educate with um, high-risk teens. All teens are high-risk, but the more high-risk teens, and figure out a way to make them excited about more things in life through music. Tune in to the next episode of the BizBuild podcast for part two of this conversation. You won't want to miss it. You've just been listening to the BizBuild podcast. I'm your host, Damani. Follow me on Instagram at Diamondback underscore Damani. That's D-A-M-A-N-I. Or follow Connor on Instagram at Diamondback.toolbelts. 
You can also find more about Diamondback by visiting our YouTube page or Facebook page. Hope you enjoyed what you heard here today, and we look forward to you joining us again on our next episodes. Take care. Don't forget to like and subscribe.